Zoom, after being giving us such great service over COVID, has decided that today would be a great day to crash. So uh, this is being recorded, isn't it? And it's going to go online because the people that have joined us by Zoom have, uh, have been cut off. So we apologise to them and if they listen to this tape of the, or this uh, recording of the sermon, please accept my apologies. Let's pray. Loving God, we want to pray that you would speak through your word, through the prophet Micah and through Matthew as he tells of Jesus' life and teaching. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, one Easter when Chris and I were living in Titarangi in West Auckland, we went to a Passover meal that was being put on by our church. And it was led by a Jewish man who lived at the Christian Kodesh community in Avondale. And I don't remember much about the meal. It opened my taste buds to horseradish. It helped me understand and make connections between the Passover and Christ's passion and communion, all of which for which I am really grateful. But what I remember most was the man's story, because his story and his life moved me. He had grown up as an Orthodox Jew in Israel and had come to believe that Jesus, Yeshua, was in actual fact the Messiah that the Jewish people were waiting for. So he became a follower, a Christian, or more correctly, a Messianic Jew. And when he told his parents this, they were devastated. It was the worst thing that could possibly happen. Christians, you see, are the enemy, the persecutors. They are false religion. And he was thrown out of the house and told that he was now dead to his family. In fact, they had a funeral for him. And he, can't, he told us that he can't go and visit them. If they saw him in the street, they would turn their back and walk the other way. And when he has tried to ring up on special family occasions, all they have done is they have slammed down the phone on him. It hurt. It was a source of great sorrow for him. Yet for this man, his faith in Jesus the Messiah was paramount. He found joy and peace in being part of a loving, caring Christian community and purpose in sharing his faith as a Jewish follower of Jesus. And his story readily came to mind as I looked at the passage that we had read to us today, which is the final third of Matthew chapter 10, Jesus teaching on mission when he sends out the twelve. Uh, and in, the read, in, the, in that reading, Jesus, quoting the book of Micah in the Old Testament, tells his disciples that the gospel, the kingdom of God, will cause division and conflict even in families. That central unit of Jewish, Roman, of all cultures. And I know that there are a lot of you here today for whom that divide means real pain and real sorrow. For others, it's simply a source of embarrassing awkwardness at family gatherings as uh, you want to say grace and everybody else looks around like you're crazy. Uh, but I also know that for many of us, a large number of us, uh, the five people that we've been praying for to come to Christ as part of thy kingdom come, comes from that very divide. 
Well, to understand the passage that we had read uh, today, we need to put it into the context of the whole section. So I'm just going to quickly do an overview of what we've been looking at. Jesus was ministering to the people and was aware of the great needs of the crowd, and he had compassion on them. So he asks his disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers into his harvest field. He then chooses 12 of his disciples, pairs them off and sends them out to proclaim the same message that he has been preaching. The kingdom of God is at hand. And we've spent most of the first half of this year working through the Sermon on the Mount. And this would have formed the basis of what they would have been sharing with people. The manifesto of the kingdom of heaven. The new way to live because in Jesus the reign of God has come into the realms of the world. And to demonstrate this new reality, he gave them authority to drive out unclean spirits and heal every disease. And Lorne, when he spoke two weeks ago, uh, encouraged us to realize that we have the same authority today. And then he sent these 12 out after he had given them the instructions that we have been working our way through. And he says they are to be sent out to the lost sheep of Israel, not relying on their own resources, but trusting in God. And where they are welcomed, they are to stay and freely share what they have freely received and bless the places and people that respond. And they are to wipe the dust off their shoes where they are turned away as a way of acknowledging that those places are in God's hands, in the hands of the righteous judge. And Jesus tells his disciples that he's sending them out like sheep, not sheeps, among wolves that people will treat them just as they treated Jesus. They'll be arrested and dragged before judges and even worse. But in those times, they are to know that the Holy Spirit will be with them and give them the words to say. As disciples then and now, identification with Jesus and Jesus' message means identification with Jesus' life, his, resurrect, uh, sorry, his rejection, his suffering, and even his death. Because the servant is not greater than the master. And in facing these difficulties, Jesus gives his disciples hope and comfort. He tells them not to be afraid, but to trust in him, and affirms that they are more precious to God than the sparrows. Sparrows who can be bought very cheaply, but who God cares for and knows even when they fall to the ground. We, says Jesus, are so much more precious to God. And you'll understand if I skip the bit about the number of hairs on your head. <laughs> and Anosa went uh, over that last week with the idea of the three hats. Remember that? The wise hat. Be wise about how you witness to Jesus. Know where you were welcome and where you were not. The alert hat. Be on guard. You see, Jesus was telling his disciples all the stuff about what would happen to them so that they would not be surprised by trouble and persecution. So they would know that it was in God's sovereignty and that they could trust God in those circumstances. And the filled hat. And I couldn't find one with the, uh, the flash brim on it. Uh, that God is present with us by his spirit. It is his mission, his compassion, his authority, 
and we can know his presence and leading even in the dark times. So this last section of Matthew 10 then sort of carries on from that and it almost reiterates those themes that Jesus has been talking about. We are called to be witnesses to Christ. There is a cost involved in that mission and there is hope and comfort in Christ. Firstly, we're on a mission from God. Remember being a Blues Brothers church? We're on a mission from God. We're called to be witnesses to Christ. In verse 32 and 33, Jesus tells his disciples that those who publicly acknowledge Jesus, he will acknowledge before his Father. And those who deny Christ, he will deny before his Father. The public acknowledgement is witnessing to who Jesus Christ is. And often we read this passage with a sense of concern and worry because we somehow think, oh, in what ways am I denying Christ? You know, and, and often we've been told that if we're not doing that witness to Christ in a particular way, that we are in somehow in danger of being rejected by Christ. I call it evangelical guilt. You know, if you're not doing it this way, then hmm, maybe you're in trouble. However, these verses are designed to be of comfort to the twelve, to the early church, and to us. That as we acknowledge, live, and witness to Christ, Christ has us in his hands and will acknowledge us before his Father in heaven. It's the assurance of Christ's commitment to us. And Matthew follows this saying by talking of the kingdom bringing division even in families. And what he is doing is he is explaining and, and helping us to understand what he's just said. As I said before, quoting a prof prophecy in Micah, which was saying to the people who had returned from Israel that when God does a new thing, it will cause division. And here, the division is between those who follow Christ and those who do not. And then in verse 41 to 42, we see Jesus actually articulate some of the ways mission is done. He speaks of the prophet, the person who speaks God's word, or as it says in the uh, Good News Bible, is the messenger who preaches. And we often think that prophet has to do with foretelling the future or some secret knowledge, but the prophets are more about telling forth, taking the timeless truth of the word of God and making it timely, bringing it to bear on the present situation. Many of you will have experienced that as a word from a sermon or a message or scripture has spoken into your life. Or it may have been a friend simply sharing uh, something with you or the gospel with you. And that has been God speaking into your lives. And then Jesus speaks of a righteous person. And that is the way we live and reflect the commands of Jesus, the love of Jesus. And hungering and thirsting for righteousness and making peace. And by that, we are involved in the mission of declaring and proclaiming the kingdom of heaven by deeds. Historically, we can see this in the way that the Wesleyan revival, which came with great preaching and proclaiming the gospel, resulted in the Enlightenment in England and also in the US, where God's people were involved in the movement for the abolition of slavery, child labor reforms, free education for all, housing reform, caring for the poor, prison reform. Even the RSPCA came out of this great compassion and this desire for righteousness. And I fear in actual fact that the church today 
has become an institution that is more concerned with reacting to the way in which the world is changing rather than seeing ourselves as being a people who seek God's preferred future for our city and nation and world. Uh, we need to be a movement that is about God's preferred future. Tim Keller has re retired as the uh, lead pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, which has you know, well over 10,000 people in it. And, and Tim Keller said he never really started out to plant a great church. He set out to uh, participate in a movement to make New York City, which is where Redeemer Presbyterian Church is, a great city because by helping it resemble the city of God, resembling the kingdom of God. And finally, Jesus talks of caring for the little ones and the simplest acts like giving a glass of water. And later in the gospel, as Jesus talks about waiting for the kingdom of heaven, he will tell the parable of the sheep and the goat where the ones who know Jesus are seen as the ones who care for the least. Mission is compassion and care. And we have part of that challenge has been brought to us by our evening worship folk today. You know, care for the least. And then Jesus goes on to talk about the cost of discipleship and mission. That we need to make the kingdom of heaven our priority. In verse 37, he says it's more important than our mothers and our fathers. Uh, and this is not meaning that we abandon family and don't care for them, because elsewhere in Scripture, people are exhorted to care for their family. And uh, they are told that you cannot say, I've dedicated this to God, so I'm sorry I can't support my family because I've dedicated it all to God. But Jesus is calling us to have the mission of the kingdom of heaven as first place in our lives. The 12, in the 12 we have people like Peter and Andrew, John and James, who left their family and their family businesses to follow Jesus. In church history, St. Francis of Assisi is an example of making a decision to follow Jesus. Uh, despite his father's disapproval, Francis gave up all the trappings and status and the inward at the moment privilege of his rich family to uh, li live a life as close to following Jesus as possible. And his life is still an inspiration for thousands and thousands of people today. Jesus goes on to talk about giving up one's life to find life. It speaks of being willing to put Christ first as a priority in life. But in the context of Jesus talking about mission, uh, there is a real connotation, connection between mission and the possibility of martyrdom. Dying for Christ. For Jesus' early disciples, carrying one's cross was not just a metaphor or a, a helpful picture, but it was in actual fact a definite reality. Most of the 12 were martyred. And this week I listened to an interview with New Testament scholar Gordon Fee on how the book of Revelation was written uh, primarily to comfort a church facing persecution. And in it, he reminded those listening that the Greek word for witness is, you know, it's martyr. To be a martyr means to witness to Christ. We're all called to, to martyr, to be martyrs. And he also went on to say for many people to witness to Jesus was a short trip to becoming a martyr. 
and that that is a reality today in many places around the world. Well, the early Celtic Christians, the men and women who Christianised most of the British Isles and uh, in the Dark Ages brought the gospel back into Europe, talked about different forms of martyrdom. The gospel came in, uh, in Ireland without uh, there having to be people dying for that message. Uh, so they looked at, well, what are different forms of costly witness? What are different forms of costly mission? They did talk of the red martyrs, those who died for their faith. They also had what they called white martyrs, those who would set sail into the white sky. Now that's... Uh, basically saying that they set sail from their native land never to return again for the sake of the gospel. People like Columba, who established the community of Iona and Christianised most of Scotland. And they are the missionaries that we are used to talking about when we think of mission. The Celts called them white martyrs. They go to another land and culture for the sake of the gospel. And we say... Boy, God didn't call me to do that. Yahoo! And we forget about mission. But the third uh, type of martyrs they had were called green martyrs, who would go to a desolate place in their own nation, in their own country, to seek the kingdom of God. And there they would establish a community and a hub of kingdom living and be a centre of transformation, education and healing. While we may not end up going to a desolate place, it does speak of being a witness to Christ, being willing to put Christ first and journey away from places of comfort and certainty, safety and familiarity, to give up so that we can find. Andrew Dunn talks about Christianity has become very much like swimming between the flags. You know, it's become domesticated. But the reality is that you should go out, and I'm a surfer from way back, to where the wild waves are. And there you'll find the presence of Christ. Finally, Jesus moves on to talk about the reward of mission. And you know, when we talk about reward, we often think it's something that we earn. But rather, it's, this is just one that comes from the grace of God. It is the presence of Jesus Christ both now and when Christ returns. Jesus says, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. And you see, all the way when we've been talking about mission, we've been talking about Christ. It's Christ's compassion. It's Christ's message, Christ's mission, Christ's kingdom, Christ's authority. And we see that in our witnessing to Christ, it is Jesus Christ who is with us and working through us by the Holy Spirit. And that is where the reward starts. The reward is Christ's presence with us. The reward of welcoming a prophet is that we receive the word of God. The reward of the righteous person is that we experience the righteousness of God. The reward for the one who cares for the little one is Christ's care for us. We experience his love and his grace and his presence in this world. 
and his acknowledgement and welcome when Christ returns and the kingdom is consummated. I can't help but think of the Jewish man we started this message talking about. You know, his painful story. Yet in some way it's also in that story we can start to find the reward for acknowledging Jesus as Messiah and finding a new family and Christian community, a new life and a new purpose, a foretaste of what is to come in Christ. You see, people, we are on a mission from God. We are called in our life, in our words, and all we do to witness to Jesus. Yes, it will mean that we will face difficulty, opposition, and even persecution. But we can know that Christ is with us and will bring his kingdom in the midst of all we do. And he will acknowledge us before his Father. Let's pray. Loving God, you've called us to be on a mission from God. Christ's great love and compassion for the world his invitation to come back and to know God as our loving Father and Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. And Lord, we pray that as we gather and as we go out, that we would be aware that you have called us to witness to Jesus. You give us the resources we need. We can do that because you are present with us by your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that we can do that knowing that even if we face difficulty, that you are with us and uh, that you will bring us uh, to a place where you acknowledge us and we are with you. Lord, we would pray that you would send out more workers into your harvest field. And we know that's a dangerous prayer because the very people that you asked to pray that prayer were the very people you sent out. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Lord.